0: we're two sisters who are here to help you learn some tips and tricks to help navigate this crazy journey called life. We bring you the
1: perspective of a licensed LMHC therapist and expecting mother
0: and a slightly eccentric mom of two. When you combine us as sisters, we like to consider ourselves as quite the dynamic duo. So join us as we talk about all life has to offer.
1: So today we're going to talk about changes. Brittany, why do we choose a subject?
0: Because David Bowie's ch- 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 changes.
1: Just waiting for that.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I led with it last time in our like closing statements, but no. now it's completed. <laughs> no, but for real, um, the every year there's always multiple times of transition, right? And so right now we're going into the summer, and it's a huge time of transition for a lot of people. I mean, if, especially if you have kids, schools out, weather changes, everything just kind of shifts. So that is. Why I think we're talking about it. <laughs> I also think, too, we're both experiencing
1: a lot of changes. Like we talked about in the last podcast, where I'm becoming a mommy, you're becoming an aunt, which you're, I've never seen you so excited that you're going to wear your pants. Um, but also, <laughs> like, you have changes with your kids, right? Like, your little guy is seven, he's transitioning out of the baby stage. Adeline's uh, tween now, like, you know, you're 11 year old. So that's where I think that things are starting to progress in our life and shift in a different way, especially with seasons and everything else. We just have some pretty iconic ones. Um, But between the two of us, we both also have anxiety, which this kind of combination is a perfect combination for us to talk about for mental health because not only are transitions hard period for anybody, but we also have the perspective added on of being anxious when we have these things happen.
0: Oh, yeah, absolutely. And even like other things, phases of life, like you said, are changing. I mean, I've gone from being a dance mom for how many years? Now I have to find my core identity. <laughs> as you know, what do I do with my kids on the weekends? I don't know, not dance. You're a dancer. <laughs> I am born to be a dumb mom, excuse you. But But. I think this is the beautiful
1: thing about life is there are so many nuanced changes and transitions that we have to get good at learning to handle what life gives us, right? And that's a part of what we're talking about, everyday mental health, which is are we aware of what we're feeling and why we're feeling it? And when we have so many things come in our lives as adults, like... I don't know the last time my life hasn't been changing as an adult, you know, like little kids. I feel like there's more iconic moments and it's slower, but as an adult, they're constantly rapidly going, especially when you introduce having kids and other people in your life. And that's where being able to kind of learn how to navigate these transitions can be really helpful for all of us.
0: Yeah. All right. So as we mentioned kind of the seasons and just phases of life, what are some general things that you think might be changing for the majority of the population right now? in the United States per se. Well, it's really interesting too, because we always
1: know our busy seasons and it's always a transition seasons as therapists, right? So I have this trend. um, My husband and I like to do a bunch of vacations in July. July is our down month because there's not really transitions for people. Everybody's going on vacation. Everybody's having a fun time. So it's the seasons of anxiety comes out and transitions come out heavily and fall, like school starts. And that's where everybody's kind of Falling apart a little bit. I don't know if that's the best way to word it. But, you know, like it's just it's a a chaotic time and there's a lot of new and a lot of transitions, especially if you have school age kids. Fall seems to be a big triggering season for a lot of people, though. And then you go into the holidays and then things kind of dip for a second. But then we go right back in January to transitioning to depression. And that's where it's interesting. The season's really... Like, almost regulate us. And then in spring, people kind of come alive again. Their their stuff goes down. So in April, we I take a little bit of a dip. Don't People don't need me as much. We go back up again right as school season's ending. I work with adolescents, right? So this often tracks a lot with the school schedule. But then as finals come around, everything else, and they're going into summer, then I peak again, and then we go right back down. So you can really see this pattern of how mental health is influenced based off of, honestly, seasons and what's happening in our lives. Holidays and school starting or work schedules or things like that, a lot of us kind of circle around the same seasonal stuff.
0: Yeah. And so these are things that we can sometimes predict, right? Like these yeah. things will happen every year. Um, it's not the end of, you know, a sudden trend or anything like that. This is on the calendar. Yeah. So what are some ways that we can help prep these transitions? I think first being able to name it
1: is huge. So for us, we were always taught in grad school, you're going to have seasons of busyness or not. And based off the population that you specialize in, they're going to vary. Like I told you, my, my heavy season is fall, um, which is when I'm having my baby, which is crazy that we chose to have a baby. In fall. <laughs> but <laughs> fall is heavy. And then, um, parts of winter are really heavy for us, right? And knowing when it's coming, I can prep for those. I know, okay, this is going to change. So summer is like my downtime. And when you're in your downtimes and when you're in those zones where things are easier, you can kind of learn to breeze and take things easier. And then when you're revving up, that's your time where you're almost like gaining the strength to go and get overwhelmed again. Does that make sense? Yeah. So that's where I feel like I really build and work with transitions because I'm prepping myself. I'm foreshadowing, okay, I know this is probably coming up. If you know what's coming up, prep yourself for what you know and do the work. It's kind of like that old, the hen and the cricket parable. Did you ever remember hearing that when we were little? Is that the same as grasshoppers and the... <laughs> yeah bug life yes where they prep for the season yeah yeah Um, okay one prep for the season and then the other one is like just living life as it's going along and just waiting for things to happen so when we're in our down season life is good we should prep for when we know that things are going to transition and change and have some of those builds so it's not as hard of a hit as when it does hit does that make sense
0: oh yeah so we're like the little ants who are storing all of our grain in the anthill so when winter comes we're ready and we the don't have to raid anybody's Disney. anthill. <laughs>
1: exactly. The wisdom of Bug's life.
0: <laughs> Love it. Okay. Yeah. So you'd mentioned there the prep and the foreshadowing. Um, I know that as a parent with young kids, especially a son who's ADHD, that this has been very important that we have to foreshadow and prep him and say, hey, mm-hmm. these things are going to happen and this is going to change. And we deal with a lot of that anxiety kind of up front. So then when he hits it, he's ready. But what are Mm -hmm. some tricks and tips, I guess, that you have for people who maybe haven't done this for as many seasons yet? Yeah, so I think age is
1: really big on knowing your audience, right? So if we're dealing with, usually we kind of separate it, like 10 and under are usually fairly kind of, I mean, there's big mile markers every year, but they're closer in age for developmental patterns, right? So 10 and under, we usually give tips like um, do visual reminders or organization things like visual calendars so they know what's coming up tell them ahead of time when you're doing and we can talk about like micro transitions too like right now we're talking about big ones but like little transitions so we're talking about day-to-day transitions with your little guys um you can do things such as like, okay, in 10 minutes, we're doing this in five minutes, we're going to do this, like give them kind of a three strike warning system, right? Where it's, oh just remember, we're transitioning from this to this. Okay, we're going here to here. Remember this boundary, remember this thing. But having a lot of visualization, things, um, tangible like tools, if you know, like, like, do you remember the speaking stick or the talking stick? Oh yeah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) You have the talking stick. Um, Those actually do work though. Like if you have this object, you know that you're in this zone or if this pillow is out or this thing is out, we know that we're doing this specific activity at this time. Cause what we're trying to do is engage a lot of that brain system in order to help it register. This is where we're at. This is what we're doing. And this is how it's changing. So decorations for holidays help kids transition a lot, which. Sounds crazy. I love decorating just because it's fun. But if we're doing a bigger transition in the season, that's helping you to see, OK, this we're now going from summer to, to fall and, you know, transitioning yeah. that way.
0: Yeah, and like you said, on the day-to-day to make sure that we're having those micro transitions for my kids, one silly thing we do if it's time for schoolwork at home is we turn on a flamingo neon light. And my kids know <laughs> that this is time for school and this is time for our learning. But it's so stupid. But at the same time, they're like, oh, who's turning on the flamingo light?
1: <laughs> but it also gives them a mile marker and something to look forward to, which it builds that reward pathway system that you were looking for. So instead of creating fear of change and discomfort with change you're creating excitement and happiness so it's it's rewiring rewiring that's a hard word um the brain pathways right what's happening is you're making it so it is excited and they are engaged with it and they get that dopamine release versus if you're making it scary or uncomfortable or or abrupt then it becomes associated with fear. And that's where you're triggering different parts of the brain in order to handle transition well. So if you handle the micro every day-to-day transitions, they're going to be better with the bigger transitions because you're taught them how to do it on a low level.
0: Yeah, they're getting those initial coping skills that they're going to need. Yeah, and they're having it modeled every single day so that when a big thing
1: comes, it's not as earth-shattering as when those little things were happening, right? Because those little things taught them, they still have that safety net, they still know what's happening, and you still have a background for them.
0: Yeah, which is so important. So I guess this goes into the next point we wanted to talk about, but how we can help them transition with known objects and how that can be part of grounding them to make sure that they know that they're safe despite these changes.
1: Yep. So these known objects can be anything. For my PTSD clients, we use something called a grounding thing. Like PTSD is a bigger mother version of anxiety right so that's why i go to that one because if it works for ptsd it's going to work for all the other ones usually but if you have a grounding object it really helps them to be able to know that i'm safe and secure so our grounding off object in the office is koa which koa is a great one. that's my dog
0: we'll have to feature him on instagram so people can make sure they can visualize this sweet boy
1: He's pretty fabulous and he's so snuggly, (laughs) Um, but he is their known grounding object. If anything changes in our office, like I moved offices two years ago, everybody knew that like COA would still be there. Everybody knew that like certain objects would still be there. The transition was big for some of my clients because it was a huge location change and it was a bigger office and all these other things. But knowing that known objects from the past office to this office were staying, as well as um, the key part, which is their grounding person right koa was gonna still be there as well as me but I like to brag like brag about koa there. <laughs> really about them. you when Koa's it's <laughs> so cute um, so that's what can help a lot of times so if you can get your little kid like an attachment like um toy blanket anything like that we usually say some of my clients I've been like okay as adults I'm like use a plant <laughs> like or things <laughs> like that where it's it's a known thing that you can say I nurtured it. Usually living things are a lot better little kids stuffed animals were great cuz they think they're living anyways, right? They like yeah. make mm-hmm. them personified. So all of those objects can really really help it come to life.
0: Okay, and we mentioned this earlier and you had just said that you had done this with your clients, right? They you had told them that they were going to change offices, that things would be different, that yeah. some of the furniture would stay there, Koa would still be there. So in that you had listed kind of expect like ex sorry, expectations of the changes mm-hmm. they could expect. Yep. So In this, communication was key. So what can we do in our own lives or in our children's lives to make sure that they're feeling that we're setting those expectations?
1: I think the first off is being open about what you're feeling too. Because if you can name what they're feeling, a lot of times little kids really can't name what they're feeling right they just know that there's stuff going on and they don't like it and it's uncomfortable but if you can give the verbiage or you can model for them what's happening like yes i don't like this either yes it's uncomfortable or yeah seasons like really get me to whatever is going on if you can just name it and acknowledge it they get the understanding i can do that too and then they search for the wording too to say it right Um, And then after that, once we've gotten past the like, okay, what is going on? How are you reacting? Then you can give them the tools that they need to handle it.
0: Okay, that makes sense. So I guess this would kind of go back, right? Like Anson right now, my little guy, he's in a transition for his diet. We had mentioned this before. For ADHD. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So I've given him a list of expectations, mm-hmm. right? Like the goldfish are going to disappear or you're yep. not going to be able to eat as much ice cream as you had wanted before. But yep. now that he's seen this in this daily, you know, today I handed him a brown sandwich and it was the end of the world <laughs> because it was on the wheat bread and he had a meltdown and I handled it poorly for a second where I kind of melted down with him, like, just eat your food this is good for your body in that moment we acknowledged it we looked at each other and we're like we did not handle that well and he apologized <laughs> so cute. And, and he came up with a solution so i mean we're seeing some of these skills come up right like he said i don't want to eat that brown grilled cheese that's weird but i will eat the beans <laughs> yeah yeah so is that kind of what we're looking for here
1: that's exactly (laughs) what you're looking for especially with a seven-year-old it doesn't mean we're not going to avoid all the big tantrums all the big motions what we're trying to do is prep them so that when they're our age they have the full tools and equipments where they don't have to have a breakdown right but even then like if you have a breakdown it's about finding the solution not about avoiding the initial response to it which is exactly what you're doing with your little guy where he can say how he's feeling, say like, this is uncomfy. I don't like this. This is the worst. Pretty much is what he's saying, like <laughs> gross brown bread, but then he can come alive and still say, okay, I'm going to find a solution to fix my problems. And that's exactly what we're trying to do at the end of the day. Cause you can't avoid uncomfortability. It's right. about going into uncomfortability and saying, I can still be empowered to, to solve this and not avoid it.
0: Yeah. And come up with a solution when things are changing. Yes. And I think it's
1: that really I'm- important to know even though we're talking about some neurodivergence, meaning like a kid on the ADHD or that has ADHD or kid on the spectrum or anything like that, they tend to have more anxiety. These things work for everybody. Like these skills should be used for everybody just to make life a little bit easier, right? Like to transition. And hold
0: up there for just a second. You said neurodivergent and for not everybody may know what that word means. So what does neurodivergent mean?
1: You ready to get nerdy here for a second? (laughs)
0: Sure,
1: <laughs> I love nerdiness. Okay. So neurodivergence is basically just saying that there's a certain specific pathway that our brains usually as a mankind, right? Has wired for us. So there's notice that there's typical road pathways and typical ways that the brain functions. So it's almost like a roadmap. If we were to look from Washington to New York, there's usually a pretty specific highway and roadmap that you can take, right? Right. With neurodivergent people, so like me and you qualify as neurodivergent because our brain is rerouted different with ADHD. What happens is that road that we're talking about from Washington to New York has this construction <laughs> in the middle of well, it.
0: Yeah. And we end up down in Texas and back in Oklahoma for donuts and yeah, back up.
1: I want to go to Montana and they have cool parks.
0: Oh, excuse me.
1: <laughs> <In> Why? <Hawaii. laughs> that's exactly right though that's how our brain works and so what we're looking for with neurodivergent people is just their pathways and their brain wiring varies from what is atypical atypical just means what is commonly placed for a n- normal brain without other like um pathways created does that make sense i'm trying to like yeah take out so some things
0: anxiety like anxiety sense. adhd autism anxiety doesn't necessarily qualify
1: since the mood Um, We're looking for like brain functioning disorders. Okay. Does that make sense? So like autism has different wiring than you and I have. They see the world different. Their sensory system is different. Their um, emotion regulation skills are different. Sometimes logic is different. What ADHD qualifies as for neurodivergent is just because it's in the pre, like the front part of your brain, the prefrontal cortex, Uh it over stimulates. So it's just overactive and it tends to have a different ability to sort information than other brains. So like you tell me and you to go do the laundry and we sit there and stare at Laundry Mountain and be like...
0: I don't want to touch oh. yeah. yeah funny story about laundry mountain I think I told you this one sister but one day my daughter went and she was looking for socks right I think she probably wanted blue socks or whatever so she walks into the room and she's like mom some moms actually fold their kids laundry and put it away why do you have laundry mounted she's like why can't you be like other moms but it was it was a perfect example though right of like neurodivergent because I could go talk to to my friend down the street and her kids all have socks in their drawers that are perfectly lined up whereas my kids literally it's fend for yourself if you survive yeah congratulations
1: yep. <laughs> <laughs> well it's funny too because my husband is the complete opposite as you know of me where he is so organized and so focused and then as I've gotten pregnant I've been completely back in my like core self of like piles everywhere I forget things all the time organization doesn't really exist right now in our house which I've taught myself all these skills I can do these skills but they take a lot more work on our part way more work and it takes a lot of power that we just don't necessarily naturally have and so you can see he could totally see a difference pregnant Taylor and non-pregnant Taylor he's like you can do these things I know you can but then you're tired and you get back into your like core self and I can just see your brain is not working you know
0: It gets more exhausting. So if we take that back to changes, neurodivergent people are going to lead a bit. They're going to need a little bit more help, right? And a little bit more support with these changes. Um, We had mentioned this earlier. I know with my son, we need a lot more foreshadowing and a lot more grounding, right? Uh, If I'm going to go change his room, I have to tell him all the things are going to stay the same or changing his ADHD diet. I have to tell him you may not get goldfish, but you still get to eat. I don't know, uh, all natural popsicles. And that was a win for him. <laughs> Is there any other things that we need to kind of factor in if we're dealing with someone who's neurodivergent, such as autistic or ADHD?
1: Okay, I'm thinking now I'm not. I'm just the way that you were to, I just kept comparing your two kids. So think about it with Adeline versus Anton. We okay. have a pretty, Adeline prevents very, or presents very um, atypical. Like she definitely doesn't really have she's more anal than anything <laughs> like
0: she's oh, yeah. not well she's, she's a just high strong with anxiety and yeah. that's what yeah i was like she's <laughs> yeah. just she's just like very
1: much a perfectionist and she's just on top of it right versus anson and how you've had to parent the two is very different adeline you can be very chaotic with you can like change up the schedules and things And she would adjust and flow with it fairly well, even as a child, right? But even then we would notice um, with Adeline, at one point it would be too much and then she would need more structure in her day-to-day life. With neurodivergent, kids um specifically even us like we need more structure than we like me and i hate need that
0: i know yeah, yeah. admitting that we need structure but yes continue
1: <laughs> oh, planners are our best friends
0: <laughs> like literally like my husband everybody comes to my house and they're like whoa you have like a
1: board on your wall that has a menu on it and i'm like yeah the only reason we have a menu on our wall is not and everyone's like that's awesome and i'm like no it's because we literally won't eat real food the whole week because i won't know what we're eating and it I yeah. don't have groceries for that. I um, live off of Google reminders. So. Exactly. Yeah. So any structure that you can create for yourself, any format that can be repetitious, placed rituals or schedules are awesome. So what I mean by rituals is like place like routines in the mornings or repetitious cycles that you have. We hate those because they're boring, but we need those because yeah. we thrive. So my my getting ready routine hasn't really changed since I was 15 or 16. Um, like makeup, hair and all that stuff. My going to bed routine is the same for as long as I can remember. And if I need to put something like when I started taking prenatal vitamins or something like that, I put it in those routines because that's the only way that I can make sure that I consistently stuck with something. So with neurodivergent kids, that is your gold money. If you can keep things as routine and regular as possible, even like time zones, I hate going to bed in a bedtime, but my husband notices I'm less grouchy if I go to bed around 1030. (laughs) So I usually go to bed around 1030 to 11, right? And it can flex within the hour. But keeping things in zones is what we call them. Keeping them where it's regulated to a zone really, really will make your neurodivergent kids shine.
0: Okay. And as we're transitioning into such things as like summer, and then even after that fall, I think it's important part of like the education principle that our family does at home Mm -hmm. is where you stay on a standard morning routine. So you need one thing that stays even in your summers. Yeah. So even though we know bedtimes are going to be later, we know in the mornings that they're going to do A, B, and C, and these things will not change. And I think that helps. Like you know, my little guy Anson will know I am still going to wake up and I'm gonna watch my morning show and eat breakfast and, you know, do these other things. Yeah. So he knows that's consistent.
1: Yeah. And I think one thing I've noticed I don't have any studies on this one, but I, I have noticed this trend of because things are so chaotic and flexible in summer, which is fun. Like so, I love summer where you get to go and do yeah. what you want at night and stay up late.
0: And but, I'm horrible at that. I change it. Like, oh, we're going paddle boarded and then we're getting in milkshakes. And yeah.
1: Oh yeah. you, use crazy girlfriend. <laughs>
0: yeah. <laughs> as As we're transitioning on things.
1: It's been really interesting to watch. I've noticed that those kids have the hardest time going back into a schedule unless they have mile markers in their days like what you're talking about. So if there's some consistent form of routine in their days, those kids tend to develop a lot more anxiety or a lot more stress when they're going back into the school year. And that's where I'd say if you're trying to keep a balance for things, definitely keep a core base of your day. Like I suggest like keep your morning routines as basic as you can, but as as normal as you can make sure there's a point in the day and if this doesn't have to be the same hour right it's just you need to make sure every single day there's this point in your day where you're turning on vacation it's gonna be different they already know that but yeah. at home when you're living day to day where it's the same like lunch time is usually people's time where it's like okay we're checking in this is lunch we're doing lunch right now and then dinner time okay we're doing dinner time so then they have three points of their day where they feel solid and normal but if you don't have yeah. those then it gets a little chaotic
0: Oh, 100%. This year with Anson, that's one of my goals to keep him with his, you know, touchdown. I don't know. (laughs) No, but I I guess like, I don't even know what like base zone safe. I don't even know what to call them, but I just
1: know they're like those golden zones where it really does help regulate your cage. You're going to have a lot less mental breakdowns in the summer and a lot more fun with them if you keep certain things safe.
0: Yeah. All right. So here's another thing. I know a lot of times is that as parents and as women, especially, we seem to put a lot of pressure on ourselves, right. To Mm -hmm. make sure everything's going right. And to make sure we're not totally ruining everything. Um, so (laughs) I think it's important to note that the only time we need to really worry is if it's a bigger change, right? So what would bigger changes be like moving divorce? Um, I don't, what are some other ones? we usually
1: classify seasonal grade changes like moving up in school um sometimes getting a new family member like if you have a new baby dog um things like that if you're moving houses like you said lost of a loved one anything like that anything that's really going to alter that child's sphere and like sphere by like circle or day-to-day life in a significant way we can consider that like a big transition like if a pet dies or something like that or I mean, seasonal changes can honestly bring that on for a lot of kids too.
0: Okay. So when should we worry? Like, when should we really be like, okay, this is really hard on my child. Like I've done all these things that Taylor suggested. We have our, you know, touchdown Mm -hmm. base camp times during the day. We're all, you know, giving them expectations. When should we worry? When is it more than just transitional anxiety?
1: I think that that's a really good question for you to answer first because we look for different things clinically, but I like it when the parents come to me. And I'm curious, what's your worry point?
0: I guess, well, we've gone to a pediatrician. We had mentioned earlier that my daughter has anxiety. And so she had said it's too much and it's permanent when it be like is affecting their day-to-day life. And I think that's where it's like ingrained in my brain is mm-hmm. we have more of a problem if it's affecting them daily rather than just... I don't know. Like Anson's mad at the brown bread. Yeah. Like okay, yeah. you'll get over it. You'll get used to the wheat bread. Yeah. But Adeline was having a hard time daily. Yeah. Is that- so what we look for, and that's a really good like core
1: rule to live by, and it's going to vary for based off family lifestyle and how much they can take of it. But what we're looking for is, is it inconveniency the client's life? Is it making them um, disabled or lack of progress for their development? And is it overall? consistent. We're looking for consistency. So if you give me pockets where your kids have mental breakdowns, like, yo, that's a six-year-old. Like, you know, like they're yeah. gonna have tantrums, they're gonna have problems. <laughs> that's being a human and experiencing your emotions. That's great. But when it's always all the time, then it's like, okay, your body can only have so much stress on it. Like little people and big people, we can only deal with so much stress and um th- that anxiety feeling, which we're talking about like worry, overwhelmed that fixation on control fear of unknown all these things right when you're in that zone all the time and only think about that your quality of life significantly dives. and that's why your doctor's advice of like when it's affecting their day-to-day life that means your quality of life has gone significantly down right because you're trying to manage this one fear every single day all the time and that's when we say yeah you need professional help at that point then it's too much
0: Okay. And I think it's good to note though, as we're, you know, just keep an eye on it as on ourselves, on our children, on our loved ones, if it's affecting them.
1: And honestly, if it's just If you don't know, what's the harm of just taking them to somebody to ask and seeing what they say, right? And that's where I think there's, you can learn a lot just by, like some of my clients come in like three times and all they need to know is a base core of how to manage some of these things and transition their kid developmentally. And that's fine. Like if that's all you need, great. Just do some development classes, understand how your little guy works versus other little people and then go from there. But that's where... I think some parents are worried like, oh, I'm just overreacting or it's just too much. And it's like, what's the harm of going and getting more answers? Like, if you don't know, if you think something's off, go get it checked out. Like, the most we're going to do is be like, your little kid's great. Like, maybe try these skills because they can help you handle it better and you're good, you know. And that's what I think every parent would want to hear. So take them in.
0: Yeah, I remember uh, a couple months ago, I know I had a friend that her daughter couldn't make the appointment, right? She was set up to go see a therapist. She wasn't even going to be able to make it at that time. So rather than cancel, the mom said, "I'm going to go take that appointment and I'm going to go ask questions and I'm going to learn how to better, you know, support my daughter through her challenges." Yep. I thought that was really great. Like my it favorite. wasn't that she was a yeah, she wasn't a regular client for you, the mom, but yeah. she still was, "What can I learn to help my I think probably neurodivergent child at that point to support her better. And I thought that was really a great idea. It wasn't going to hurt
1: anything. I think that's the most useful thing, especially if you have us like 11 and under. I don't take kids anymore under the age of 11, right? Like 11 is my time I will start taking them because honestly, it's just different work. It's more like training the parents on how to like handle the kid and like work with their kid, right? Than it is about... Um, teaching the kid as much as anything because the parents are the ones interacting with them day to day. So when I have parents come in and actually ask me how to like approach something or work with something, love it because they're going to be the therapists at home. They're going to be the ones guiding it. So the more that you're asking questions and trying to figure out how to work with that transition, what's the harm? It's going to literally just help you. I never have seen really any harm come from that one.
0: Yeah. And I know with our therapist right now that Anson goes and sees, that's been one of my favorite things is Mm -hmm. helping him with these changes and Anson will take half the session and I'll take half the session and he'll prep me to be that, you know, therapist therapist at home to deal with these changes. Like this week, Brittany, you need to do this and let's come back and let's see how it goes. Or, you know, and I love that. Yeah. Because you um, learn so much too for yourself. Like, it's not just for him. You're like, oh, will that work for me? Like, you've come back so many
1: times. to like, hey, does this work? And I'm like, yeah, do that. <laughs> like,
0: yeah, like keep a don't...
1: schedule. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Who knew? Who knew? That's the key Bye-bye. to success. So as we are wrapping up this episode, if you could sum this up, maybe in the top three things you would say are the best way to support ourselves and our loved ones as we transition to summer and fall in turn. I think number one is owning where
1: you know you're uncomfortable and that's where a lot of us are not good at is just being real at like am I uncomfortable or does this stress me out more right in the seasons and I think that's one that I've like been struggling with because like if we go with my big transition is having a kid I'm like okay I don't want to like undersell myself or not be as confident as I could be in being a mom but the moment that I can acknowledge okay these areas like I don't know what I'm gonna do with no sleep like I'm a (laughs) person with no sleep or no food or things like that like the minute I can own that is the minute that I feel more empowered to be able to take on that transition so first one I think would be identifying where are you uncomfortable and where do you tend to avoid the most what transition do you like dread the most. Second one I think would be oh goodness, you're making me like dig in my brain here a lot. I think the second one would be um really just making sure that you have a schedule laid out and a ritual laid out for yourself. Meaning, do you have those touch points in your own life? Do you feel like you have check-in times and check-in points to really help you feel settled? And the last one I think would be create a plan, create ways that, you know, help you de-stress and cope with certain situations. If you know fidget items help, if you know, like, like I said earlier, Koa is my buddy. So whenever I'm doing something new, Koa is there with me, like podcasting. Koa is in my room right now. Does that make sense? Anything (laughs) that is your grounding object that makes you feel empowered, incorporate that into your plan.
0: Okay. And what's your third one? That was my third. All three? Yeah, that was oh, okay. So let me sum these up again. Our first one was say acknowledging what we're uncomfortable with. Yes. Our second one is keeping a schedule. Mm-hmm. And our third one was having a grounding object to make sure that we feel empowered. Yes. All right. We can do this. Uh, the schedule is still my biggest take up, but we can do this. I think we'll always struggle with that one. I get told
1: once a week by my husband, "How's your schedule going?" And it's usually a mess, so it's fine. Yeah,
0: and that was my that first building. marriage compromise. Yeah, keep a planner. No, I don't keep a planner. Who do you think I am? <laughs> Planet, are you one? Okay, I love this, and I feel like we can go into these seasons a little stronger now, right? Because we are prepared for the ch- ch- changes. <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, it's also feeds right into anxiety, what we're going to do in the next. Um, I don't know, we call them like sections, episodes, groupings. But next month for the month of June, what we're doing is we're taking anxiety, and we're really breaking it down. And we talk a lot about it, changes with anxiety, because change is a trigger for anxiety. But understanding how those two connect is really going to feed into one another. So if you have more questions on this, if we didn't fully answer it, you're always welcome to reach out to us and email us and ask and we can answer more in the next podcast. But I also think some of them will get answered to kind of wrapping it around with the anxiety.
0: Yeah. And also, if you have anything that you want us to touch base on as we're going through anxiety, if there's any questions that you're really dying to know answers, you can just drop us a message on social media, Uhani Counseling, and we would love to factor those in. Yes. So, all right. Well, that's it for today. And we'll catch up soon.